section nine of a compendious history of english literature and of the english language volume one this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. a compendious history of english literature and of the english language volume one by george lilly Craik. chapter two part three classical learning mathematics medicine law books the classical knowledge of this period however was almost confined to the roman authors and some of the most eminent of these were as yet unstudied and unknown even john of salisbury though a few greek words are to be found in his compositions seems to have had only the slightest possible acquaintance with that language both it and the hebrew nevertheless were known to abelard and eloisa and it is probable that there were both in england and other european countries a few students of the oriental tongues for the acquisition of which inducements and facilities must have been presented not only by the custom of resorting to the arabic colleges in spain and the constant intercourse with the east kept up by the pilgrimages and the crusades but also by the numbers of learned jews that were everywhere to be found in england the jews had schools in london york lincoln lynn norwich oxford cambridge and other towns which appear to have been attended by christians as well as by those of their own persuasion some of these seminaries indeed were rather colleges than schools besides the hebrew and arabic languages arithmetic and medicine are mentioned among the branches of knowledge that were taught in them and the masters were generally the most distinguished of the rabbis in the eleventh and twelfth centuries the age of sarchi the kimchis maimonides and other distinguished names rabbinical learning was in an eminently flourishing state there is no certain evidence that the arabic numerals were yet known in europe they certainly were not in general use although the elements of euclid and other geometrical works had been translated into latin from the arabic the mathematical sciences appear to have been but little studied the science of demonstration says john of salisbury in his metallogicus is of all others the most difficult and alas is almost quite neglected except by a very few who apply to the study of the mathematics and particularly of geometry but this last is at present very little attended to amongst us and is only studied by some persons in spain egypt and arabia for the sake of astronomy one reason of this is that those parts of the works of aristotle that relate to the demonstrative sciences are so ill translated and so incorrectly transcribed that we meet with insurmountable difficulties in every chapter the name of the mathematics at this time indeed was chiefly given to the science of astrology mathematicians says peter of blois are those who from the position of the stars the aspect of the firmament and the motions of the planets discover things that are to come astronomy however or the true science of the stars which was zealously cultivated by the arabs in the east and in spain seems also to have had some cultivators among the learned of christian europe 
latin translations existed of several greek and arabic astronomical works in the history attributed to ingulfus is the following curious description of a sort of scheme or representation of the planetary system called the nadir which is stated to have been destroyed when the abbey of croyland was burnt in ten ninety one we then lost a most beautiful and precious table fabricated of different kinds of metals according to the variety of the stars and heavenly signs saturn was of copper jupiter of gold mars of iron the sun of latin mercury of amber venus of tin the moon of silver the eyes were charmed as well as the mind instructed by beholding the colour circles with the zodiac and all its signs formed with wonderful art of metals and precious stones according to their several natures forms figures and colours it was the most admired and celebrated nadir in all england these last words would seem to imply that such tables were then not uncommon this one it is stated had been presented to a former abbot of croyland by a king of france john of salisbury in his account of his studies at paris makes no mention either of medicine or of law with regard to the former indeed he elsewhere expressly tells us that the parisians themselves used to go to study it at salerno and montpelier by the beginning of the thirteenth century however we find a school of medicine established at paris which soon became very celebrated of course there were at an earlier date persons who practised the medical art in that city the physicians in all the countries of europe at this period were generally churchmen many of the arabic medical works were early translated into latin but the parisian professors soon began to publish treatises on the art of their own the science of the physicians of this age besides comprehending whatever was to be learned respecting the diagnostics and treatment of diseases from hippocrates galen and the other ancient writers embraced a considerable body of botanical and chemical knowledge chemistry in particular the arabs had carried far beyond the point at which it had been left by the ancients of anatomy little could as yet be accurately known while the dissection of the human subject was not practised yet it would appear that physicians and surgeons were already beginning to be distinguished from each other both the canon and civil laws were also introduced into the routine of study at the university of paris soon after the time when john of salisbury studied there the canon law was originally considered to be a part of theology and only took the form of a separate study after the publication of the systematic compilation of it called the decretum a gratian in eleven fifty one gratian was a monk of bologna and his work not the first collection of the kind but the most complete and the best arranged that had yet been compiled was immediately introduced as a textbook in that university it may be regarded as having laid the foundation of the science of the canon law in the same manner as the system of the scholastic philosophy was founded by peter lombard's book of sentences regular lecturers upon it very soon appeared at orleans at paris at oxford and all the other chief seats of learning in western christendom and before the end of the twelfth century no other study was more eagerly pursued or attracted greater crowds of students than that of the canon law one of his first and most celebrated teachers at paris was gerard la pucelle an englishman who afterwards became bishop of lichfield and coventry gerard taught the canon law in paris from eleven sixty to eleven seventy seven and in consideration of his distinguished merits and what was deemed the great importance of his instructions he received from pope alexander the third letters exempting him from the obligation 
of residing on his preferments in england while he was so engaged this being it is said the first known example of such a privilege being granted to any professor the same professors who taught the canon law taught also along with it the civil law the systematic study of which likewise took its rise in this century and at the university of bologna where the pandects of justinian of which a more perfect copy than had before been known is said to have been found in eleven thirty seven at amalfi were arranged and first lectured upon by the german ernerius the lamp of the law as he was called about the year eleven fifty both the canon and the civil law however are said to have been taught a few years before this time at oxford by roger surnamed the bachelor a monk of beck in normandy the study was from the first vehemently opposed by the practitioners of the common law but sustained by the influence of the church and eventually also favoured by the government it rose above all attempts to put it down john of salisbury affirms that by the blessing of god the more it was persecuted the more it flourished peter blois in one of his letters gives us the following curious account of the ardour with which it was pursued under the superintendence of archbishop theobald in the house of my master the archbishop of canterbury there are several very learned men famous for their knowledge of law and politics who spend the time between prayers and dinner in lecturing disputing and debating causes to us all the knotty questions of the kingdom are referred which are produced in the common hall and every one in his order having first prepared himself declares with all the eloquence and acuteness which he is capable but without wrangling what is wisest and safest to be done if god suggests the soundest opinion to the youngest amongst us we all agree to it without envy or detraction study in every department must have been still greatly impeded by the scarcity and high price of books but their multiplication now went on much more rapidly than it had formerly done we have already noticed the immense libraries said to have been accumulated by the arabs both in their oriental and european seats of empire no collections to be compared with these existed anywhere in christian europe but of the numerous monasteries that were planted in every country few were without libraries of greater or less extent a convent without a library it used to be proverbially said was like a castle without an armory when the monastery of croyland was burnt in ten ninety one its library according to ingulfus consisted of nine hundred volumes of which three hundred were very large in every great abbey says wharton there was an apartment called the scriptorium where many writers were constantly busied in transcribing not only the service books for the choir but books for the library the scriptorium of st albans abbey was built by abbot paulin a norman who ordered many volumes to be written there about the year ten eighty archbishop lanfranc furnished the copies estates were often granted for the support of the scriptorium i find some of the classics written in the english monasteries very early henry a benedictine monk of hyde abbey near winchester transcribed in the year eleven seventy eight terence boethius suetonius and claudian of these he formed one book illuminating the initials and forming the brazen bosses of the covers with his own hands other instances of the same kind are added the monks were much accustomed both to illuminate and to bind books as well as to transcribe them the scarcity of parchment it is afterwards observed undoubtedly prevented the transcription of many other books in these societies about the year eleven twenty one master hugh being appointed by the convent of st edmundsbury in suffolk to write and illuminate a grand copy of the bible for their library 
could procure no parchment for this purpose in england paper made of cotton however was certainly in common use in the twelfth century though no evidence exists that that manufactured from linen rags was known till about the middle of the thirteenth the latin language during the whole of the anglo-norman period and down to a much later date in england as in the other countries of christendom the common language of literary composition in all works intended for the perusal of the educated classes was still the latin the language of religion throughout the western world as it had been from the first ages of the church christianity had not only through its monastic institutions saved from destruction in the breaking up of the roman empire whatever we still possess of ancient literature but had also by its priesthood and its ritual preserved the language of rome in some sort still a living and spoken tongue corrupted indeed by the introduction of many new and barbarous terms and illegitimate acceptations and by much bad taste in style and phraseology but still wholly unchanged in its grammatical forms and even in its vocabulary much less altered than it probably would have been if it had continued all the while to be spoken and written by an unmixed roman population it would almost seem as if even in the teutonic countries such as england the services of the church uninterruptedly repeated in the same words since the first ages had kept up in the general mind something of a dim traditionary understanding of the old imperial tongue we read of some foreign ecclesiastics who could not speak english being accustomed to preach to the people in latin a passage quoted above from the croyland history seems to imply that gisselbert or gilbert one of the founders of the university of cambridge used to employ latin as well as french on such occasions so geraldus cambrensis tells us that in a progress which he made through wales in eleven eighty six to assist archbishop baldwin in preaching a new crusade for the delivery of the holy land he was always most successful when he appealed to the people in a latin sermon he asserts indeed that they did not understand a word of it although it never failed to melt them into tears and to make them come in crowds to take the cross no doubt they were acted upon chiefly through their ears and their imaginations and for the most part only supposed that they apprehended what they were listening to but it is probable that their self-deception was assisted by their catching a word or phrase here and there the meaning of which they really understood the latin tongue must in those days have been heard in common life on a thousand occasions from which it has now passed away it was the language of all the learned professions of law and physic as well as of divinity in all their grades it was in latin that the teachers at the universities many of whom as well as of the ecclesiastics were foreigners delivered their prelections in all the sciences and that all the disputations and other exercises among the students were carried on it was the same at all the monastic schools and other seminaries of learning the number of persons by whom these various institutions were attended was very great they were of all ages from boyhood to advanced manhood and poor scholars must have been found in every village mingling with every class of the people in some one or other of the avocations which they followed in the intervals of their attendance at the universities or after they had finished their education from parish priests down to wandering beggars latin poets mapes etc much latin poetry was written in this age by englishmen some of it of a popular character wharton enumerates johannes grammaticus lawrence prior of durham robert dunstable the historians henry of huntingdon geoffrey of monmouth edmer william of malmesbury geraldus cambrensis and geoffrey de vansoph galfridus de winosawo 
john hoville alexander neckham walter mapes archdeacon of oxford and above all joseph iscanus or joseph of exeter whom he characterizes as a miracle in classical composition adding in regard to one of his works an epic on the subject of the trojan war the diction of this poem is generally pure the periods round and the numbers harmonious and on the whole the structure of the versification approaches nearly to that of polished latin poetry walter mapes or rather map who was archdeacon of oxford has the credit of having been the author of most of the pieces of latin poetry belonging to the latter part of the twelfth century which from their form and character may be supposed to have acquired anything like general popularity in particular the famous drinking song in rhyming or leonine verse beginning meum est propositum in taberna mori is attributed to this genial archdeacon to wharton's dozen names are thereby mr wright in his account of the writers of the anglo-norman period biographia britannia literaria volume two eighteen forty six has added about a score of others belonging to latin poets and versifiers of the first century and a half after the conquest among the most important are those of guy ovido bishop of amiens author of an elegiac poem on the battle of hastings discovered a few years ago at brussels and since several times printed godfrey prior of winchester in the latter part of the eleventh century whom mr wright designates as the first and best of the anglo-norman writers of latin verse hilarius author of three scriptural dramas and a number of shorter pieces preserved in a single manuscript now in the bibliotheque imperiale at paris from which they were edited in eighteen thirty eight by m champagnon figeac john of salisbury work in verse by whom was edited by professor christian peterson at hamburg in eighteen forty three and Nigellus viriker for whose surname however mr wright finds no satisfactory authority the author among other pieces of the speculum stoltorm referred to in a preceding page End of section nine